Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth, and if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now as we look at this second half of this book of Ecclesiastes, remember we are in the pursuit of wisdom. We've been in that pursuit of wisdom ever since chapter 7. One of these days we're going to catch it, right? We've seen that wisdom can come through mourning and come through sorrow and even come through attending a funeral. As a matter of fact, if you look back to chapter 7 and verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. That is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. We've learned that wisdom can be found in pursuing righteousness, even though by pursuing righteousness, we're not guaranteed an immediate temporal reward. In other words, it may not make life instantly easier just because you're pursuing righteousness as a child of God. From chapter 8, verse 2, we have learned the wisdom of civil obedience. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. We've seen the wisdom of contemplating and even preparing for death. We've seen the wisdom of enjoying life. We've seen the wisdom there is in preparing for eternity. Live with the expectation as a child of God that one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for your life. I'm going to give an account for my life. And we've seen the wisdom of being humble and not being combative. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And so we need to be humble and we need to be meek in dealing with people. Now, Solomon didn't give us these truths just so we can have a more enjoyable life on this earth. That's not the point and that's not the position of these truths. It is wisdom that we need as children of God to properly respond to the kingdom of heaven. And you ask, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? I'll give you an example of it in just a moment. But if we don't learn to submit to authority, for example, what are we going to do when the Lord says to us, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me? If we don't have the wisdom and haven't learned to be humble, what are we going to do when the Lord convicts us of our sins and instructs us to repent of those sins that we've committed against Him? If we'll not acknowledge the certainty of death, what are we going to do when He calls upon us to lose our lives in service to Him so that we might have real life and so that we might have real living? So it teaches us to put away the foolishness of the flesh and the things that please the flesh, and seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the verses that we read, as you listen to them, you say, well, 
Sounds like Solomon's just giving some practical advice for everyday living. He's giving some practical advice about maybe about farming in verses 3 through 6. You know, the importance of labor and the danger of procrastination and even embracing work as something good. Maybe he's giving us some practical advice about commerce, you know, cast your bread upon the water and that sort of thing. Maybe he's giving us just practical advice about diversification and planning for the future. But do you really believe that that's what Solomon's doing? I don't think so. What he's doing, again, because Jesus used illustrations, didn't he? Jesus used farming illustrations. He wasn't teaching about farming. He was teaching spiritual lessons using things that people are familiar with. And that's what Solomon is doing with us in these verses that we read. Now, Solomon's purpose is to impart the kind of wisdom that will make us fit for living, as I said a moment ago, under the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the kingdom of heaven? That's sort of a term we hear a lot of times. Well, basically, the kingdom of heaven is God's rule over us. It's coming under the leadership and the rulership of God. And when we talk about living under the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about living according to the principles of the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, what kind of principles are involved in the kingdom of heaven? I think Jesus gave many of those principles in what we call the Sermon on the Mountain. I'm just going to cite one this morning. And this one would work very well for us on a day-to-day -day basis. He said, and you're probably familiar with this verse. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I saw something similar to that on Facebook just this morning. He said, if you don't want it done to you, don't do it to other people. In other words, treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's one of the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are three divisions in this text. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you, and then we're going to look at them. The first one is this. You don't know what misfortune may occur in your life, so you need to be prepared for it. That's preparation. The second one is this. You don't know the activity of God who makes all things, so you need to be busy. And that's we're going to call procrastination. And then the third one is this. You don't know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them will be equally good. And that is productivity. So we're going to look at these verses from that standpoint this morning. And the first one we're going to deal with again is you don't know when misfortune will come. So you need to be prepared. By the way, as I thought of this message, I thought, what is the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. And so God tells us in his word to be prepared. Look at what it says here in this 11th chapter, the first verse. Cast your bread upon the waters. Now I'm going to insert this right quickly. I was preparing this message and then I told somebody Wednesday night and I'm not going to fully explain everything that went on Wednesday night, but something occurred after services Wednesday night. In fact, a man came up here asking for help, some monetary help in his life. And I looked at somebody and I said, God's putting me to the test. I'm going to preach this Sunday. And so God's given me a chance to practice what I preach before I even get up in the pulpit and preach it. Cast your bread upon the waters. What does that mean? It's wise and it's good to do a work where the return for that work cannot be immediately seen. In other words... We need to do our goodness and we need to do our kindness to people who our heart tells us we will never see them again. Find people who need help. 
Find people who need somebody who can supply something that they need and give it to them. And he uses this example. Again, this is the idea of not thinking of gratitude, not thinking of a return for the good deeds that we do. He says, cast your bread upon the waters. So as an example, let's just go out here to the lake and throw some bread out on the lake. Now, how many of us would go back in a day or two and expect to find that bread? No, it's going to get soggy and it'll probably sink or the ducks or the fish will eat it or something will eat it. But if we did go back and find that bread, how many of us would eat that bread after it floated in the lake for a day or two? We wouldn't eat it. We wouldn't expect to find it. So again, do your goodness to somebody who your heart tells you will not be able to repay you for the goodness that you have done. It is an instruction toward generosity in dealing with other people. And we have that opportunity in our world today. The sense is do your good deeds not expecting recognition, not expecting a return for the good deeds that you do. Just be willing to help other people. And here's the promise, thou shalt find it after many days. There will come a return. That's what Solomon is saying. It may not be from the person that you helped. See, God has a real good memory. And God knows when we help others. And God can bless us in helping others. But that's not the reason we help others. We help others because the word of God tells us to help others. We help others and we're generous toward others because the word of God tells us to be that way. And then we leave it up to God to recompense what we have done in our lives. Look, if you will, over to Matthew chapter 6 for just a moment. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and I said that contains so many of the principles of heaven. But look at chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what Jesus said. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to give somebody $100, and then I'm going to stand in the pulpit and say, Folks, I just gave... Who wants me to give them? Now, this is, this is pretend, all right? Who wants me to give them $100? Brother, I just gave Brother Rick $100. And aren't y'all proud of me for giving Brother Rick? I am so generous, I gave this brother $100. You know what Jesus said about that? Forget about your reward. Amen. When people pat you on the back and praise you for the good that you do, for helping others out, just forget about your reward. He says in verse 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In that day, they would literally have people walking ahead of them, blowing a trumpet and putting on a show of helping other people. Jesus said, don't be like those. Don't do that. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee Openly, there should be in the heart of every child of God a desire to help other people. Amen. And when we do, we don't go bragging about it. We have the example of the one who gave up absolutely everything. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, remember? The one who gave up absolutely everything in order that we might escape hell. Jesus left heaven. He took on this earthly form and he walked among men and willingly went to the cross that we might have everlasting life. Jesus is teaching us on humility. Jesus is teaching on generosity. And God's word teaches us that benevolence ought to be a part of the life of each and every child of God. You know what Proverbs 19 verse 17 says? He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given 
will he pay him again? You realize what it's saying? When we have pity upon the poor, what are we doing? We're lending to the Lord. Did you ever look upon helping someone who's poor in that way? I'm helping someone who needs help. I'm lending to the Lord. And then it goes on to say this, that God will repay him again. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And Solomon says that's wisdom. You realize our world is generous when there's a profit in it. I heard this the other day, I, and I sort of looked it up. In 2007, you know who Anheuser-Busch is? The, the beer company. In 2007, they donated 2 million cans of drinking water to help hurricane victims. And then, after that, they spent $40 million worth of advertising during the Super Bowl to tell everybody about it. Here's what we did. And we're going to let everybody know how generous and how helpful we are. But true wisdom understands that generosity is possible not in material things and not because of earthly rewards, but in spiritual matters if we'll be generous toward other people. And the idea of generosity is stretched even farther. If you go back over here and you look at verse 2, the idea of generosity is stretched even further because it says this, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. He's talking about unlimited benevolence toward others. Not I gave at the office, all right? Not I've given my share, but unlimited benevolence toward other people. It's talking about, someone to apply this in a material way and talk about diversification of funds and that sort of thing. Well, the New Testament talks about uh, diversification, but not in that manner. If you look over to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then verses 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The instruction is if God's blessed you, you need to bless other people. You need to help other people. And here's why. The time may come when you no longer have the power to help somebody else. Amen. Help people while you have the opportunity to help people. And he says, we need to make friends of people who are in distress. We need to help people who are in distress. Jesus gave a parable in the book of Luke about a landowner who had this servant who was going to be called into judgment because the servant hadn't dealt like he should have with his Lord's, his master's goods. And the servant said this, he said, I'm too proud to beg and I'm not going to dig. And so you remember this parable, he went out to all of his master's debtors and he said, oh, you owe a hundred measures of oil, write me a bill right quick for 50. You owe 80 measures of wheat, write me a bill right quick for 40. What he was doing, he took this back and made partial payment to his master, but he was indebting these people who wrote these bills to him whose debt he discounted, he's indebting them to him. And so his master said this, he said, you're pretty wise, you're pretty smart in material things because you're going to lose your job, but you know other people, or you've gotten other people indebted to you. So the idea is use your worldly resources to make friends too. 
We help other people because one of these days we may need help of others. And Solomon counsels us to generosity in the future, even though the future is uncertain. Invest in several poor is what he's saying. Why? Because you don't know what misfortune may take place on the earth and you don't know when you're going to need the help of others. John Donne, if you remember him from English literature, said this, no man is an island. People want to live like they don't need anybody else. I had a man one time that I pastored, he said, I don't need friends. You know what his favorite hymn was? What a friend we have in Jesus. I never could understand that. But he said, I don't need friends. Well, no man is an island. Everybody needs friends. And one of these days, you're going to need somebody to help you invest in people, invest in the poor, and ultimately God will repay you for it. Remember Proverbs 19, verse 7. Helping the poor is lending to God, and God will repay in his time. We should be generous as God's people. We should be ready to share as God's people. Look over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And listen to what the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said to the members of this church at Ephesus. First of all, he said, let him that stole steal no more. And I think that's a pretty good idea. Let him that stole steal no more. But he went on to say this, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, for what purpose? That he may have to give to him that needeth. We want to work today so we can amass a big bank account, so we can have things, we can have all of the toys. And the Word of God says, here's the reason God gives you work. Here's the reason God gives you an opportunity to make money. So you will be in a position to help other people, especially to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. God may have blessed you if you, God's blessed you with material goods. And I'll say again, most people in America have more than most of the rest of the people in the world have. And if God has blessed you with material goods, he may have done that so that you can help other people. We should never seek to have a bigger bank account on this earth than we have in heaven. Matthew chapter 6 again. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's the key to it. He said in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is my treasure on things of this earth? That's where my heart's going to be. That's who I'm going to give the most to. That's what I'm going to serve the most. Or is my treasure in heaven and I want to lay up treasure in heaven. So first of all, there is be prepared. There is preparation. You don't know what misfortune will come, so you better be prepared. Now the second one is procrastination. Again, what is procrastination? You don't know what God is doing, but you know what your job is, all right? What does he say here? He says this. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And then he says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, or how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. There's two elements mentioned in these verses. Two elements that affect each and every one of us. You know what they are? The wind and rain. See, two phrases that we could use from these two elements have a great effect on each and every one of us. 
it's supposed to rain. Brother Dennis asked me this morning, is, there, is it supposed to rain today? I said, well, I know there's a 95% chance tomorrow. <laughs> he said, good, I don't have to go to work tomorrow, so I know what he's going to do. <laughs> You're just going to relax all day, aren't you, and, and enjoy the, the rain. But that phrase, it is supposed to rain, or the phrase, the wind is supposed to be high, you know, that can change somebody's plans also. In fact, that could change a farmer's plans, and it can change our, our plans. I've pastored in areas where there's been farmers, if you've ever been a farmer, been around farmers, if you've ever listened to farmers, listen to what they talk about many times, you'll hear things like this. One will say, well, I sure need a rain so I can plow. Another will say, well, I sure hope it doesn't rain. I've got hay on the ground. Somebody will say, well, my crop sure needs some rain on them. And another will say, I wish it quit raining so I can get in my field. Others will say this. He said, boy, if we could just get some wind. It'd dry everything out. And another one say, I sure need the wind to die down so I can go spray the weeds, you know. Wind and rain. And what is true for wind and rain is both can be welcomed and both can be unwelcomed. It depends on your situation. And by the way, we have no control over either. Amen. You can't make it rain. You can't make it stop rain. You can't make the wind to blow and you can't make the wind to stop blowing. And here's the understanding where it says here that if a tree fall toward the south or toward the north and the place where the tree falleth, there's where it's going to lie, there's where it's going to be. We don't have any control over where the tree falls. We don't have any control over where the wind blows. We don't have any control over how hard it rains and still the wind and the rain will dictate our plans. Who's in control of the wind and the rain? God is. And so he is the one who is in control. We don't have any control what is going to happen around us on a daily basis, do we? What do we have control over? How we react to it. I learned this several years ago. It said life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to what happens to us. And that's true even in the life of a child of God. So here's wisdom in verse 4. He says, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And here's one idea of that. Here's one thought about that. Don't sit around waiting for the ideal time. You know, people say, well, I'm going to witness to so-and-so one of these days, but it's just not ideal time yet. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get busy serving God one of these days. Have you ever heard anybody say that? But it's just not time yet. Some young person will say, you know, one of these days, yeah, when I get old, you know, they, a lot of folks think that church and serving God's for old people and for young women, you know. So when I get older, that's when I'll get serious about serving God. Listen, you have no control over what's going to happen in your life. I've run into people who wish they had served God when they were younger. And they regretted it ever since because something happened in their lives that adversely affected their service of the Lord. But imagine a farmer who wants to go out and cut hay. Imagine a farmer who wants to spray his weeds. Now, you don't want your hay to get rained on. You don't want the weeds to grow up. So you want to do either of the other. You want to cut your hay or you want to spray your weeds. But what if a farmer goes out one morning and says, huh? See a few clouds. Could rain today. So I better not cut my hay. And he goes out the next day. Well, there's some clouds. Might rain today. So I better not cut my hay. 
and day after day after day. He's going out, he's looking up, he's observing the clouds, he's saying it couldn't rain. You know what? He's never going to cut his hay. Amen. Or the same farmer goes out, and, well, I, I, there's some wind blowing. I don't think I need to spray today. And the same thing, day after day after day. He's never going to spray his weeds. See, when we start saying, well, the conditions aren't right. I'm waiting for the perfect time. I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity to witness. I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity to share Christ. Or I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity to get serious about serving God. You keep doing that, guess what? You're never going to witness. You're never going to serve God. Here's what he says in verse 5. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. There are some things that are God's work, folks, and there are some things that are our work. As I said a moment ago, the wind and the rain are God's work. The plowing and the sowing and the reaping are our work. In other words, God has a job that he will do and we need to do the job that God has given us to do. He's given us a job, so do it. We're talking about responsibility as children of God. We're talking about responsibility as human beings. Listen, God has told us to do some things and procrastinating, and this is not my message on procrastination, by the way. I'm getting around to it procrastinating just because we do not know God's timetable is a very serious gamble, foolish gamble on our part as the people of God. We operate in faith. Even though we don't know the outcome, we operate in faith because God's going to do what God will do. And we faithfully serve Him. See, God's work is to do what? God's work is to regenerate. God's work is to draw. God's work is to call. God's work is to save. God's work is to seal and secure. And we like to talk about God's grace, don't we? Oh, listen to the grace of God. But that does not negate the fact that God says our job is to do what? To witness of Christ. Our job is to live like a child of God and be a living witness to others and to be a verbal witness to others. And it's doesn't negate the fact that the lost have a job also, and that job is to repent toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved. Here's an illustration. Can you save anybody? Nope. Sure can't. Only God can do that. All we can do is what God gave us to do. All we can do is the job that God has given us, and what's the means through which God saves people? If you just look over to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, the 21st verse, here's what it says. It said it's by the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save those that believe. See, what's he saying? By the declaration of Jesus Christ, by the sharing of Jesus with others. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does verse 14 say? How can they call on him in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without a preacher or without someone to tell them? And we're expecting to see a, a harvest of souls today without going out and planting a seed. You know, I like to garden. And I especially like these verses when we're talking about farmers and gardening. By the way, my idea of gardening is it's a great way for a grown man to get to play in the dirt. 
and I love to garden. I love to dig and plant and go out there. I was pulling weeds yesterday. Now, I do fuss at Adam for that, but, you know, <laughs> it's his fault. But anyway, I love to garden, and I know that you've got to plant a seed before a plant comes up. And you've got to keep that soil moist, and when that plant starts to come up, you've got to keep it watered, and you've got to take care of it. Eventually, if you do just right, that thing will grow, and you'll have a plant that's producing tomatoes or peppers or whatever you want it to produce. But it takes work. And I think what's happening with God's people today is many times we say, okay, Lord, bless us. I mean, you just do it all and bless us. Now, we, we've got this thing that goes out on Facebook, so maybe the lost people will hear it and they'll be saved, but Lord, bless us. Drive people in here, Lord, bless us. And God's saying, you got a plant, you got a water. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1st chapter, they were divided over preachers and some like Peter, some like Apollos, some like Paul. What did Paul say? He said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. See, they did what they were supposed to do. They planted the seed. We have no idea who God is working on. Amen. But you know what? We're still supposed to share the gospel. We don't know what God is doing or what he's going to do, but we still need to be prepared to do our jobs. And the same is true whether it's for the saved serving God or the lost being saved. If someone's watching by way of live stream this morning and you know that you're lost, you know that you've never repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, God wants you to turn to him in repentance and faith right now. Amen. Not wait for the better time. Not wait for things to get ideal and conditions to get ideal for the wind to quit blowing or, or the rain to quit falling because you don't know when the winds of life are going to topple your tree. And you don't know when the clouds are going to let loose with a flood. God promised to flood the earth. Told Noah he was going to. What did he tell Noah to do? Build an ark. And because Noah believed, trusted God, acted in faith, and built an ark, he and his family were saved. The point is, God will do his job. We must be prepared to do our jobs and then do our jobs. Amen. And the third one is this, productivity. You don't know when productivity will be at its highest. So keep sowing. You never know when productivity will be the highest. Still using the farming illustration, Solomon instructs us at all times, at all times to be ready to sow the seed. Well, when should I plant? I hear people say, well, you need to plant by the full of the moon or the in relation to the moon. I don't know whether that works or not. I just, when I get ready, I go out and plant, you know. It may work for some, it may not work for others. Is it best to go out and plant your plants in the morning or sow your seed in the morning? Or is it best to go out and plant your plants and sow your seed in the afternoon? Which is going to reveal or which is going to give the greatest harvest? Now, we've already dealt with preparation. We've already dealt with procrastination. And again, we're dealing with productivity now and failing to seize the opportunity. When's the best time to sow? When the soil's ready. When the soil is prepared. And if we don't sow, you know, we're, we're guilty of idleness before God. We're guilty of not doing what God would have us to do. 
Now, again, Solomon's not talking about earthly temporal concerns. That's not what he's dealing with right here. He's telling us we better be ready to stand before God. We better be ready to give an answer for whether we have been idle, whether we have procrastinated, or whether we have served Him or not. Now, everyone knows. I mean, this is common knowledge. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? The secret to success is work. You have to seize your opportunities. We understand all these things. Laziness will never pay off. But what is true in a material sense in these verses is so much truer in a spiritual sense for the child of God. And we find wisdom for believers and we find wisdom for unbelievers in these verses that Solomon gives us. For believers, share the gospel at all times and in all seasons. That's what he's saying to us. Just be willing and ready at any moment to share the gospel. Look over to 2 Timothy. And I think Paul's writing here in 2 Timothy to young Timothy. He was pastor of the church at Ephesus. And I think what he said to him here in chapter 4, the first two verses, can apply to each and every one of us as children of God as well. I know he's applying it to a preacher here. But he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now I know just recently I talked about that verse, but I want to talk about it again for just a second. Because here's what Paul is telling Timothy. I'm encouraging you to do this because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is coming. He's coming back to this earth and you're going to stand one of these days as a child of God in front of him and you're going to give an account for your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Romans chapter 14, I believe it's verse 10 there in Romans chapter 14. Over and over again, the word of God says, we're all going, even as children of God, we're going to give an account for our living, how we have used our lives. Have I served the flesh or have I served God? Have I lived totally to my enjoyment or have I lived to be used of God, to bring others to Christ, to glorify, to uplift Him? How have I lived my life? So he says, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think when I covered this recently, I said, I sure hope that that judgment is a private judgment. I don't want you there when I'm there, okay? And I don't want to be there when you're there either, by the way. But then he says, in light of that, in light of the fact that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what are we supposed to do? Here's what he told Timothy, preach the word. Share the word of God. And he says, do it this way. Be instant in season, out of season. Now, you know what that means? Share it when it's wanted and share it when it's not wanted. Share it when it's convenient and share it when it's inconvenient. Wherever you are, whenever you're there, preach the word of God. Share the word of God with other people. And so as believers, Paul's instruction to Timothy is good for us. Now, I say again, I think a lot of times we delay in witnessing and it's an excuse. I'll be honest, I've used this excuse. Well, the time's not right. You know, we're standing here in the middle of Walmart, and so, or Albertsons, I'm sorry. We're standing here in the middle of Albertsons talking, you know, all these people around us, and boy, I sure hate to start to try to witness to somebody right here in the middle. Why? We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about family. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about a number of things and clog up an aisle. Have you noticed how people like to get into conversations in the middle of an aisle? Clog up an aisle just talking about meaningless things, and yet we won't mention Christ to people. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I was lost, he found me, he saved me. 
You need to know Christ as Savior. Let me come by and tell you more at another. Something. Just invite people to church. Whatever it may be. God may have brought us into contact with that person for one brief moment for us to plant a seed. How long does it take to plant a seed? I'll share this with you. I've done it before, but I, and I hate to share it because it shows being lax on my part, but my dad had a business. I worked for him. I kept the office. The, one of the big contractors that we worked for was right across the street, and the son of one of the owners would come over and visit quite often. I didn't take the opportunity to witness to him. They'd won a big lawsuit, and so they went out to the lake celebrating, and spirits were involved and not the Holy Spirit. And Mark had an accident and drowned. God had put him in my path. You know what Ezekiel 33 says about that? If you see the enemy coming and you warn the people and they don't do anything about it and the enemy comes and slaughters the people, hey, their blood's on their hands. You warned them, they didn't respond. But if you see the enemy coming and you don't warn the people, and the enemy comes and destroys those people, their blood's on your hands. I can think of a couple of occasions, folks. Some things I'm going to have to answer for because the blood of some is on my hands. God may have brought us into contact with that person for just a minute or two so we can drop a seed. Don't worry about it. God will take care of watering it. God will take care of making it grow. All we have to do is drop the seed. Planting the seed. That's our job. Again, he may use somebody else. And they may, that person you talk to may be saved and not even join here. That's not why we lead people to Christ. You know what? I mean, it's great when we lead somebody to Christ and they're saved and they come walk this aisle here and they say, I've been saved and we baptize them. Come. That is fantastic. Well, what about somebody visiting from another state or another country and we come into contact with them and they're going to go back home? Would you witness to them? We ought to. Well, it has wisdom for unbelievers also. Let go of this world in order to take hold of that which is life indeed. So many people today are caught up in living for this world. Look what the world has to offer. Look what I can have. Heard an ad just yesterday. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Ever heard of them? <laughs> we all have. Enter. You can win and get $7,000 a week for the rest of your life. Boy, wouldn't that be great? But how many people are going to enter and not win a thing? And yet they want to live for this life and the things of this life. Open your eyes if you're lost. Death's going to come one day. Death is just as sure as a baby being born. Death is just as sure as the wind blowing. Death is just as sure as the rain falling. Death is going to come and you better be ready for it because after you die, it is too late to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. I'm so thankful. I've got to say this. I'm so thankful. Our nephew came to that realization just a couple of weeks ago. And listen, here's what happened. What happened to him happens to so many. Other children were walking the aisle saying, I've been saved. And this is his testimony. In fact, he did a video testimony he put on Facebook. He said, I want to be just like them. 
Everybody else was saying they've been saved or getting baptized. I want to be just like them. So I walked the aisle. And I got baptized and I became a church member and I didn't even think about it until the other day when God got a hold of him. I don't know what God used and I don't know who God used, but I'm sure thankful he did. Yeah. I'm afraid there's so many young people today, young adults maybe, that have to say, well, you know, if I start looking back, maybe I wasn't saved. I'll tell you what to do. Read the book of 1 John. Ask God either to convince you that you are saved or convict you that you need to be. That's what you need to do if you don't know whether you're saved for sure or not. Don't get distracted. Understand that salvation is not in your works. It's not in church membership. It's not in your goodness. It's not in the baptistry. Salvation is in repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you have never turned to God in repentance and applied the blood of Jesus by faith, you need to be saved. Amen. Otherwise, you're going to die and go to hell. You say, that's rude, preacher. I said last week, the truth is rude. Well, we need some rudeness today. We need some truth today. And do not disregard this opportunity that God has given you to be saved. The word of God has been preached. Folks, I believe the Holy Spirit will convict and does convict. And maybe he's convicted someone either here or on the live stream that you need to be saved. He is in the business of convicting. And the day of salvation, the scripture says, is today. Amen. Growing up, I was like every other child. Dad would say to do something and I'd say, in a minute. And you know what he would say? Not in a minute, not tomorrow, right now. So I understood what not in a minute, not tomorrow, right now meant. You need to be saved, not in a minute, not tomorrow, but you need to be saved right now. In this life, there are things that you and I do not know. We don't know when death is coming. We don't know when trouble may come. We don't know what God is doing. We don't even know the length of our window of opportunity either to be saved or to serve God. And here's what's sad. So many people are saved at a young age and they wait till their old age to get busy about serving God. Amen. You know, well, you know, I'm getting up in years now and one of these days I'm going to die so I better get back to, to church. I better get back to serving God. No, today's the day of service of God. A wise person prepares for the future and a wise person prepares for opportunity. By the way, the Bible never says it's wrong to prepare or to plan. Do you realize that? People say, well, I don't, don't plan things. No, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. You know what the Bible says? Here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we're going to do this and this. If it's within the will of God, we're going to do this or this. But it's not wrong to make plans. And you know what Jesus said? Be ready. That's the same as saying be prepared. Matthew 24 verse 43, But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. You know, if when you, just before you left home this morning, somebody called you and said, I'm going to break into your house while you're going to church, you'd have, either you'd have stayed home or you'd have had somebody watch your house, wouldn't you? I think so. What's that called? It's called being prepared. I recently put up cameras around my house. I want to know who's coming to my house. 
But he said he, he wouldn't, his house wouldn't have been broken into. And so Jesus said, Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It could be before I get the next word out of my mouth. We need to be prepared. Luke 12, 40, Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Somebody misunderstood that and they said if we could just get people to quit thinking. Jesus would come back. That's not what it's saying. You know what he's saying? When you're not thinking about this could be the day that Christ comes, here he comes. In such an hour as you think not, the wise person prepares and plans. And Jesus said, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. What's he saying? He said, The servant that's happy the servant that is blessed is the servant that when his Lord returns is going to be faithfully serving his master, going to be faithfully serving his Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters in an unlimited benevolence to other people. Sometimes helping other people gives us an opportunity to do what? To tell them about Jesus. Wouldn't it be terrible to witness to somebody about Jesus and they needed some help and we say, well, I'm not going to help you, but you need to be saved. <laughs> you know. Oh, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. I have it in my heart, but I'm not, I don't have it for you. I'm not going to help you, but you need to be saved. That'd be horrible. Unlimited benevolence toward other people. And don't put it off. Here's what God wants me to do. You know, I put off announcing the call to preach for at least a year, probably longer, if I'd be honest, for at least a year. And then God sort of shook my world and I said, okay, Lord, I made a promise to you. I'm going to keep it now a year later when you showed me you were serious and I need to be. And then after that, I put off starting seminary. You don't have to go to seminary to be a preacher. You don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor, but it helps with some of us. And so I put that off for five years until God again shook my world and something else happened. You get the idea I'm sort of hard-headed and I have to learn by experience. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do what." And from then on, I've been serving him. Don't procrastinate. God said, I want you to serve me today. And then just trust him and do what he tells you to do, what he has for you to do. And the main thing is just live for me and tell other people. One man said it this way, keep your eyes on Jesus and tell other people what you see. And that's what we're to do.